TD Bank is out with their annual love and money survey and it shows some disturbing information. How much money are you hiding from your partner? I'm joined by the money coach herself, Lynette Kalfani-Cox on today's Money with Friends. Welcome to Money with Friends, live from my mom's half finished basement where we make the Det- where we make the Detroit based Stacky Benjamin show. I'm Joe Saul C. Hi. And I'm Lynette Calfani Cox, the money coach live from Houston, Texas. I bet it's uh humid Houston, Texas today, Lynette. It is indeed, but you know what? Uh, as Cardi B would say, I like it like that. <laughs> um, I'm good with that. You know, I moved this summer, remember, from New Jersey. So constantly cold weather. So I don't mind humidity now. Yeah, I was going to say, you're not in Kansas anymore. This is the show where we take a recent financial headline. Today's comes to us from CNBC.com. We discuss it with you, our friends, and a thought leader, that's Lynette. We not only read the piece like some shows, but we discuss it and give you some takeaways in just over 15 minutes, Monday through Saturday. Today's show is brought to you by Acre Trader. Diversify your portfolio with farmland. Uh, Mark Twain famously said, buy land, they're not making it anymore. Head to acretrader.com forward slash MWF and you can watch an explainer video. They'll show you all about it. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. This is Tim from the Faith and Finances podcast. Friends, check. Money, check. Friends with money, let's do this. Uh, Lynette Kalfani-Cox with us today. She is the money coach. How are you? Hey, I'm good, thanks. I'm happy to be here. This is going to be a great series. We got four months worth, I guess, to <laughs> talk um, you know, money over the next several months, and I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I can't wait to talk. Well, I can't wait to talk about today's piece because it turns out not everybody is quite as open about their money as you and I are, Lynette. Apparently not. So here, let's kind of dive right in and you know, let our friends know what we're talking about here. So this piece I got actually off of CNBC.com, and they were referencing, as you mentioned, uh, this TD Bank survey, but here's the gist of it. So it says, when it comes to love, debt can be a deal breaker. These days, one third of millennials would consider breaking up with their significant other because of a financial secret, such as hidden debt or a bad credit score, according to TD Bank's fifth annual love and money survey released Tuesday. Still, more than one in four millennials currently keep a financial secret from their partner, TD Bank also found. TD Bank polled more than 1,700 adults in July. These days, significant debt is harder to avoid, particularly among those just starting out. A typical millennial carries a hefty burden, about $23,000 according to a lending tree study, mostly due to record-breaking student loan balances, sky-high rents, and car loans. To take control of financial troubles, step aside, I'm sorry, step one is understanding what's coming in and what's going out to make changes for the better, said Jason Thacker, head of consumer deposits at TD Bank. Quote, taking stock in what's real and balancing that over time, whether it's personal, professional, or financial. The piece goes on in uh, two out of every five couples, one spouse admits 
Listen to this. One spouse admits to lying to his or her partner about money, according to a separate survey by the National Endowment for Financial Education. In addition, 75% of those surveyed said financial deception has adversely affected their relationships. The leading cause of stress in a relationship is finances, according to a study by SunTrust Bank. The research found that 35% of people named money as the primary trouble spot with their partner. In fact, 59% of divorcees say finances played a role in the breakup of their marriage and 20% said financial conflict was a significant factor in their divorce, according to a separate survey by Experian. On the upside, and I think we'll end it here, more than half or 55% of millennials plan to disclose their secret within the next year, TD Break found. But I thought that was funny, Lynette, and I think we'll kick off our conversation here. Is is, is that just people saying, well, I'm, I, I got a secret now, but I promise in the next 12 months, I'm coming clean. Uh, you're right. <laughs> um, I think that it is a reflection of how people have the best of intentions kind of early on. And what struck me kind of about this survey was that, you know, obviously you look at different generations, millennials, depending on which you know age category you want to put them in, you know, 21, 22 into sort of, you know, mid to late 30s. Then you get the Gen X crowd, that's me. Then you get the baby boomer generation. And, you know, I was most struck by the fact that, wow, people are keeping financial secrets this early, like kind of starting out in relationships, because it kind of tends to only get worse, you know, like most secrets, you know, you build up kind of shame and secrecy, obviously, around it and just keeping it hidden for whatever reason. And then it gets harder to disclose it. It's not like it gets easier because, you know, okay, we're six months in, we're 12 months in, and oh, I'm going to tell you about this, you know, $100,000 in student loan debt. Yeah, it's uh, like it. Age now, but I just thought to bring that up. No, it's like it becomes baggage between you. Like the longer you hold it in, the more you're like, well, that was a year ago. And if I tell her about that now, exactly. now she's going to say, why didn't you tell me last month, last week, last month, six months ago? Why are you bringing it up now? So right. then it becomes this, this wall between the two of you, which is horrible. And of course, from a trust factor standpoint, the other party, of course, when you do come clean, the main thing, of course, that they're going to be thinking is, oh, you kept this big secret for me. What else are you hiding? Yes. You know? Yeah. That's when it gets to be really thorny situation because you've kind of broken the trust. Well, and even if it isn't a big secret, if it's a small secret, I think you still think you kept this small secret from me. How many big secrets do you have that we're not talking about yet? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, one other thing I think is important. This is obviously people who are kind of actively or intentionally, you know, hiding information. It might be, like I said, a bad credit score, debt that they owe. There's a whole bunch of other secrets. I mean, sometimes people hide their shopping. Um, I know people who just keep their clothes in the you know, the trunk of the car or in the back of the closet. Um, sometimes people hide financial accounts or assets that they have, even from a, a married partner. Or they'll hide things like I give my mother or I send home, you know, to another country, I send X amount of money home. So there's all kind of financial secrets and all kind of financial infidelity, as we call it, that goes on. But the the what we usually see is that these kind of things don't just kind of go away. They kind of become patterns, yeah. which is another kind of risk 
to the overall relationship. So definitely something to keep in mind there. Uh, uh, we, we do this show live in front of a Facebook audience, by the way, if you want to hang out with us while we make the show, it's always fun. Head to facebook.com forward slash I stack Benjamins. And I want to, uh, Gregory uh, has something interesting that it's good. And in your role, Lynette as a, as a money coach. And by the way, you can find Lynette at ask the money uh, uh, you've got to come across this sometimes. Gregory says, one of the biggest challenges I've found is I'm the resident money nerd in my family. My wife isn't interested in the money stuff and kind of checks out when I try to share this with her. You got to see that in relationships all the time. I did when I was a financial planner. How do you get people around that? Yeah. One of the things that I tell couples is that even if one person takes the lead on the money front in terms of either managing the the household finances, actually paying the bills, maybe setting up things in accounts, um, in spreadsheets or whatever methodology they use to try to track um, expenses and then, you know, account for those. The other party still does need to be in the know. And it's usually about finding sort of an appropriate level of contact communication and information to convey to that person. So sometimes they're like, oh my God, my head is spinning. Like that's way too much information. Like they might just want to know like, okay, in general, how much do we have in our retirement savings accounts? Or, you know, if something should happen, where's the life insurance, you know, what's the company and who's our life insurance agent or or just, you know, general stuff. So I tell people, even those who don't want to keep up with the quote unquote minutia or the everyday details, that they really cannot totally abdicate financial responsibility to the other partner because that's actually very risky and very dangerous. Divorce happens and you don't want to be, you know, completely clueless about your household finances. And then obviously people get sick, people die, somebody has to travel, they're busy on, you know, uh, work stuff, and you might be called to kind of step in. So the challenge is for the party who's willing and likes it and wants to do it is to really communicate with the other person in a way that it feels like non-threatening and it's not like this heavy money conversation, you know. Don't do it when there's a problem or an argument, that kind of thing. Just kind of bite size and then ask the other party, like, um, you know, I want us both to be on the same page financially. So, you know, what part of it would you like to learn about? Or, you know, what part would you feel comfortable with me telling you? I don't have to tell you every detail, but I do want you to kind of know what's going on. Yeah, I found in my practice, Lynette, to your point, keeping it light and fun uh, yeah. is is step one because money nerds, we all want to have the deep conversation about money because we're into it. But, you know, yeah. the, the reason why hardly anybody listens to, to stuff like this in the big universe is because we, we are the outliers. Uh, Cheryl and I have a money meeting every week. We either do it over pancakes or we do it over wine, depending on what time of day it is. And we keep it super light. We really try to do two things. We look through our app at, uh, uh, through Tiller at exactly what expenses we've had the right. last, the last week. And we just kind of, and, and we keep it very light. We just right. go over the expenses and then we talk about what big expenses are coming up the next week. And I got to tell you, while I, you know, I like, I like financial information. I like getting into the weeds. Just that little bit of info is so much better than a line by line budget for me, just because we're on the same page. I mean, right. we, we know exactly what expenses are coming up the next week and it makes it so much better. I love that strategy. You know, I think I might adopt that. <laughs> um, and Earl and I, we talk about money so much all the time. Sometimes I feel like every single day, not even just once a week. Um, but 
because um, we own our business together. We work together, you know, from our house, literally in business, in the same business together. So we're constantly talking about just not only our own personal financial affairs, but the business, which kind of weighs in, of course, on our personal finances. But I can see that strategy that you just mentioned doing one or two other things and, and having you know many other benefits. One is that you're setting expectations, right? And a good part of avoiding money arguments is just level setting because somebody's like, I didn't know you were going to buy that. Or when did this expense come up? If, it, if they found out after the fact, you know, then sometimes it can become an issue. But if you're letting your spouse or your partner know ahead of time, so this is what's coming up next. This is what's coming up for the week. You have a chance to kind of calibrate that, right? And then you also have an opportunity to do some kind of financial planning together because sometimes you might say, oh, you know what? I'm going to wait or I'm going to hold off on that. Or I had planned to do this, but then your partner might say, oh, maybe X, Y, Z, something else is the priority. And yeah. let's talk, you know, let's talk through that. And so it really can obviously keep you on the same page um, from a kind of emotional aspect and making sure that, you know, nothing is out of alignment. But then just from a practical money aspect to really know ahead of time, this is how we're going to allocate our resources. I'll tell you the big thing that happens for us when we have that meeting, which I'd say, you know, we're about 80, 85 percent of the time we have it. Uh, we, we tend to then the rest of the week communicate about money better just because we had that meeting. Then there's this follow through where we seem to have this more of a planning mindset. Uh, lots, lots of chatter with us, uh, (laughs) today. Uh, Gregory says, I think the damage money plays in the relationship speaks to the need for a neutral, neutral third party, such as a financial planner. I often felt and, and this is, I'm being a little bit facetious here, but, but, but I often felt at the end of some of my really good meetings, you could tell two things. Number one, a lot of times we would meet twice a year with my clients back when I was a financial planner. And I could tell number one, the couple was getting back on the same page. Like, like things were going well. I also felt like it was going to be like a good night for both of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it was about to go beyond financial planning, like, there you go. like everybody on the same page. And I was the love doctor, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but you saved, I'm sure countless marriages. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Tiara says, I don't hide money, but I do hide the plants that I end up adding to the patio garden. So maybe I am hiding some receipts, but come on, there's a sale on mums today. <laughs> I'm not judging. No, no, no. You know, this is funny because, you know, we talk about the definition of hiding money or of, quote unquote, financial infidelity. Um, It spans the gamut. Like I said, you know, it might be like, ooh, I don't want my partner to know that I have a bad credit score or that I have this debt or that I'm making certain purchases, you know, whether that's mums or, um, you know, just clothing or technology or whatever else. Um, And, you know, oftentimes the person who's doing the hiding when they do come clean, like that survey said over the next 12 months, you know, a high percentage of them plan to come clean. You know, sometimes they often find that not only are they unburdened, but that it does lead to greater intimacy in the relationship. Yes. Yeah, because absolutely. there's a higher level of trust, communication, and, you know, like you found, Joe, people get on the same page. So it's actually better for the long-term health of your relationship. Just come clean. If you want the moms, just be like, you know what? I want to go get those flowers. That's pretty. I like those, you know, I want those plants. And then, you know, 
everything will blossom, so to speak, in your relationship. <laughs> if, if you know what she means. The, the uh, uh, um, Something else I was going to say, too, is that let's say that your spouse doesn't like the fact that you buy so many flowers. Uh, Cheryl and I have had that in our relationship. I'll tell you the way that we solve that is that we have an allowance that we give ourselves that we can spend on whatever we want. No questions asked. So in other words, I kind of like board games. People that know me know I like board games a little bit. Cheryl used to buy DVDs nonstop. Now it's travel guides. She will buy like the folders travel guides. And I'm like, really? We already have 20 travel guides. Um, she, but, but because we do it with our, with our allowance money, that's, that's just money. And, and you know what? Good for her that she loves reading travel guides and where we're going next. And we always have these great vacations. And when we're hanging out at home, I always have the right board game. So we've kind of learned to accept the fact that we have these things that maybe aren't priority one for us, but they're important to our spouse. And the allowance gets rid of the judginess in the relationship. Totally. And it's one of the things why I think a lot of couples who, um, perhaps initially struggle with the, his and her accounts. Should we have a joint account or should we have separate accounts? Sometimes, and, and frankly, often find that you should do both. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having that joint account out of which you pay the household bills and you run the family's finances and take care of those obligations, the rent or the mortgage, you know, the utilities, the food for the household, et cetera. But then having a separate account is also very healthy. It's not a hidden account. It's not a secret. But you have in that account cash out of which you can spend on whatever you choose, again, without, quote unquote, permission, so to speak. Um, and it may just be that at a certain level and you the, the couple obviously agrees on what's the, the right level for them. It may be like, you know what, anything that I choose to spend up, up to two hundred dollars is coming out of this, you know, my own separate account. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about rationalizing it, justifying it, hiding it. I'm just going to do it because this is what I want to do. And it makes me happy kind of thing. So yeah, I can see that that um, philosophy can, can help, uh, you know, a lot of couples. We'll have uh, the takeaway from the money coach, Lynette Kofani Cox here in just a second. But first I have to talk just a little bit about our sponsor for today's show, Acre Trader. And actually it's funny. I say, I have to talk about them. They're our sponsor because I like talking about them. I I grew up in farm country. I don't know if you know this, Lynette, and uh, I've there hasn't been a field that I didn't work on as a kid. I worked in so many different fields, and uh, and uh, from corn fields to rye fields, wheat fields, bean fields, I was there. There is consistently less and less farmland available. And when you look at historically farmland as an example versus gold or versus bonds, somebody online the other day said that uh, farmland is the new gold. I don't know about that, but I do know that when you compare it to other asset classes, you will see that historically what's called the standard deviation, which is the amount it gyrates naturally. I'm sure that gyrates naturally is not the uh, (laughs) technical phrase they use on Wall Street, but I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. The amount that it gyrates is a lot less. And consistently, really, really nice, boring returns. Boring is a good thing, I think, when it comes to this type of investment. So if you are looking for a new asset class to kind of calm down your portfolio while still returning uh, a respectable return, head to acretrader.com forward slash MWF, and uh, that will take you to 
their explainer video. You can learn more about it. You have to be an accredited investor. You'll want to know more about that. And of course, you're investing in farmland, which means your money is locked up. So understand how that works, too, before you invest. Uh, but uh, it's... Uh, it's something I like a lot, which is why we asked them to sponsor the show. So thanks to everybody who used our link. It is that time, Lynette, our big takeaway for today. Uh, what's, what's, what's your takeaway from this piece? So I tell couples who are um, confronting the issue of uh, financial infidelity or dealing with financial secrets, <clears throat> excuse me, that there's a three-step process. So for all those people who say, I'm going to you know, come clean, Here's a three-step process for you to do to follow it. Um, I call it disclose, discuss, and decide. So the first part is the disclosure where you kind of come clean and you explain what the financial secret you've been uh, keeping from your partner. The second part is sort of discussing just money habits, values, you know, past practices, and sort of how you grew up. Um, because a lot of our money personalities are rooted in childhood and some of that might determine what you're doing today. And then the third part of it is about um, just deciding, you know, how you're going to go forward as a couple and how you're going to stay on the same page and have just honesty, transparency and greater levels of trust uh, and communication in the relationship. That if you plan to be with a person a long time and stay with them, that's a healthier approach to handling, you know, all kinds of money matters as opposed to keeping financial secrets. I love that approach because too, it's, it's systematic, it's memorable and, um, and it, but, but it also doesn't feel like, you know, sometimes people have like this, this, um, you know, I'm thinking of like the sandwich way people give feedback in a job and you're like, really just give me the bad news. It just feels like, come clean, put, you know, put it out there first. That's yeah. what I was going to say. It feels like a very honest way to communicate. Incredibly honest way to communicate. Yeah. And, and that's what people want, obviously, in a relationship, you know. And again, it's really better for the long term health. It, it doesn't feel good to have to, like, fess up, obviously, initially, but you're unburdening yourself and you're hopefully strengthening the relationship instead of fracturing it kind of down the road. My my takeaway is uh, has to do with one of my favorite books about business. Your mileage may vary, by the way. I like this. I like this book, uh, ancient Chinese book called the the Art of War. Oh, and, sure, Sun Tzu. Yeah. Yes, and in the Art of War, they say the best battle is the one that's never fought, and the second. The second that you decide that you're going to hide something from your partner, there's a battle that's probably going to be fought later and you'd rather not have it. Whether you are Tiara and you're buying moms or whatever it is you're buying, it is probably better to just get it out there right now and then you don't have to worry about how do I come clean tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. I think that's that's my takeaway. Uh, but I like yours way better, Lynette. <laughs> Uh, tell everybody what's going on at Ask the Money Coach because you have another new you have a new edition out of a book that you wrote a while ago that helps families with college. Yeah, so um, you know I have fifteen books and then I have uh, three related to college. So um, we did the second edition of Zero Debt for College Grads from Student Loans to Financial Freedom, teaching people how to pay off their student loan debt. You know when I got out of grad school from USC eons ago. Um, it took me over 10 years to pay off my $40,000 in student loans. And, you know, that's almost the average nowadays. Sure. Typical 
uh, college grad these days, certainly from the class of 2019, they had about $38,000 in student loan debt. So yes, I um, teach people how to pay off their student loan debt. But more recently, um, the College Secrets book series that I wrote um, tries to give families a blueprint for avoiding college debt in the first place. So yeah, the College Secrets series really talks about um, how to save money, cut college costs, and graduate debt-free. Um, because, you know, we've got way too much student loan debt in America. So, you know, my first child has graduated from college. My second one, he's a sophomore. And we've told them, don't worry, you're not going to have student loans, but we're, you know, planning along the way for them. Um, and then planning for our, our third one, who's, who's 13 years old right now. But, you know, just as a parent, I know, like, you, you know, we don't want to be burdened you know, to have to pay off our kids' student loans or to have them to have student loans. So just kind of in the College Secrets book series, talking to families about that uh, and how to navigate the higher education uh, system. And your books are available everywhere, aren't they? Yes, on my site, on AskTheMoneyCoach.com, but on Amazon and bookstores and, you know, everywhere. Go to library. People just go check it out for free, you know. It's not like you <laughs> to buy it, but yeah. Well, that's going to do it for today. Big thanks to Lynette Califani-Cox for joining us. Thanks to everybody who hung out with us on uh, Facebook. Thanks to everybody listening and people who gave us a review. Thanks so much for that. We'll see you back here tomorrow again with Lynette on Money with Friends. This show is created and hosted by Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebell and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Our engineer is Caden Thompson. And for a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with a real episode of Money with Friends. <laughs>